So Father, we come to you this morning, Father, not hopeful as those who wake up and hope it rains, hopeful as people who wake up and get an umbrella, because we expect you to move, because we know that you will move, Lord. Father, we come to you this morning and we're celebrating the victorious resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we don't come in here this morning out as an effort to draw close to you because there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We come here this morning because you have made it possible for us to be saved. And Father, we thank you for the declaration that your son, Jesus Christ, has defeated the grave, that he is our living hope, that we are not here to commemorate a fallen saint, but to celebrate and worship a risen Savior. So Father, whatever it is that holds us down this morning, whatever sin is clinging to us, whatever baggage, whatever brokenness we're carrying, whatever is preventing us from seeing you. We declare this morning on the authority of your word that there is no condemnation for those who belong to your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we open your word this morning, help us to find freedom. Help us to find hope in the name of your son, Jesus. So, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. We ask that you would speak to us, Lord, through your word today. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And uh, as you find your seats this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Uh, We'll be looking today at chapters 1 through 3 this morning. If you're here today with us for the very first time, uh, what we've been doing as a church family over the last several weeks is we have been walking through the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah. We just finished up the book of Ezra last week, and we're going to pick right up in the book of Nehemiah this morning, and Lord willing, this is going to take us up uh, to the week before Easter. So we're going to dive right into things this morning. We've already had a very full morning together, uh, affirming all of our new elders, and so we're going to move very, very quickly and do uh, some big overview on some things. This is one of those weeks where community groups are really, really helpful, uh, because we're going to have to skim over some things, and then you've got that opportunity to go sit for another hour or two uh, and dive a little bit more deeply into God's Word. But Nehemiah 1 through 3, is where we'll be this morning. And uh, just as a recap from several weeks ago... Nehemiah uh, is the sequel to the book of Ezra. Originally, these were written for us as one single volume. Ezra is likely the scribe that composed both of these together. And these events are unfolding around 445 BC. This is about 13 years after Ezra had made his way to Jerusalem with the return wave from exile. And the key themes that we find in the book of Nehemiah are the Lord's protection over his people and also the need for God's people to follow the Lord in obedience. And again, just to rewind several weeks, a couple of reasons why we chose to study these books at the beginning of 2021 is because we see two very important pictures. We see first in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah a picture, a warning of what happens when God's people abandon his word. We see a warning of what happens when God's people compromise and they fall into sin and they ignore what he's clearly laid out in his word. But just as clearly as we see a warning of what happens when we abandon the word of God, we have confidence in the second picture, which is of a faithful God who never abandons us. 
That even as we fall into sin and even as we fall into wickedness and into rebellion, there is a God who loves us and who sees us, whose eye upon, is upon us and whose good hand is guiding us. And that's what we've seen so far through the book of Ezra. So at this point in the story, uh, two waves have returned from exile. The first one led by Zerubbabel and the second one was led by Ezra. The temple at this point has been rebuilt. Worship has been restored as the people have come into the land. But as Nehemiah comes onto the scene, we see that the city walls still lie destroyed and in ruins. And while they've been able to gather together again, once again, and worship as a people, they're still left vulnerable and susceptible to the attacks of their enemies. So the Lord calls on Nehemiah. He raises him up to lead a third return wave from exile. Now the name Nehemiah means very simply comforted by God. Once again, we see in their affliction, in their time of trouble, the Lord, his eye is upon them, his hand is upon them. He raises up yet another leader who's going to continue the work of drawing his people back to him. And in the same way that the Lord raised up Zerubbabel and Ezra, he raises up Nehemiah as he continues the great rebuild of his people. Now, um, next Sunday marks a really weird anniversary. I'm not going to say it's an anniversary we would celebrate as a church, but it is, in fact, uh, an anniversary nonetheless. And that anniversary is that next Sunday will mark that weekend, the last normal weekend we had together as a church family. It was the following week that about 1030 on a Saturday night, uh, we got the call like, hey, we're not going to be able to come in here this morning. And so we pretty much had everything set up. But I came in here uh, that following week and I preached to a video camera in an empty room. Remember, you remember two weeks to flatten the curve? We were like, oh yeah, this is just for a couple of weeks. And uh, no, it was not, in fact, for a couple of weeks. Narrator, they were wrong. And uh, so we uh, just jumped right into that. It feels like, man, like it just blinked and suddenly here we are. It's, it's been a year later. And we've spent a lot of time over the last several weeks. I don't, I don't think there's been a, a shortage of words on how bad things were in 2020, right? Like, I think we pretty much adequately covered that because we've even seen it uh, at the level of the church. We see some of the predictions that were made uh, by groups like Barna Research back in the fall. In September, they uh, made the prediction that as many as 25% of churches that had to close their doors during COVID may never reopen them again. We saw early into the pandemic, just a few months in, they had similar research in the month of July that showed as many as one in three professing Christians had totally disconnected from their church. Weren't, weren't gathering together in person, weren't engaging anything online. We've seen the negative, devastating consequences uh, that this has had on the church at large in our culture. So there's been no shortage of words about those challenges. But this morning, what I want to do for just a moment, church, is celebrate the Lord's faithfulness in spite of those challenges. Because that's what the, we see all through Ezra and Nehemiah is, yes, the people have fallen away. Yes, they've been scattered. Yes, things have been bad. But time and time again, we see the goodness of the Lord in gathering his people to himself. Many of you will remember uh, back in the month of November, we shared with you that we as a church family uh, in 2021, we were now to the place uh, because of the goodness of God in our own church family uh, that we were actually going to begin supporting other church plants. And so through our partnership with the Pillar Network, we have partnered uh, with uh, formerly Remount Baptist Church now renamed uh, Centerpoint Church up in the Remount Road area in Charleston through our Pillar Network partnership. Uh, we are supporting their work financially this year. This is a church revitalization project. Um, this is a congregation that 30, 40, 50 years ago, they were booming. I mean, reaching a growing community, a, a sanctuary that would seat 350, 400 people. Um, but uh, as many churches, unfortunately, tend to do about 20, 30 years ago, they just kind of got stuck in their ways. They lost their enthusiasm for mission. They lost their zeal for the glory of God. Uh, and by the middle of last summer, the congregation had dwindled down to 39 people. 39 people. 
So uh, Craig Tuck and Tyler Daniel are the two uh, that are working together to revitalize, uh, for, again, formerly Remount Baptist Church, now Centerpoint Church. And I got to have a call with, with Craig and Tyler because we're supporting them financially as a church family this year. Last summer, they dwindled down to 39 people. All 39 of those people came together and they uh, voted to reform the church, to reconstitute as a church, to rename, to be Centerpoint Church. I was talking to Tyler a couple weeks ago. Again, this has been in the middle of COVID, all the challenges, a struggling church that they took over. And a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning, they had 110 people for worship. Like, can we praise God just for how, even in the midst of the challenges, he's continuing to regather his people. But even a, a more local example, you know, we see a responsibility to do what we can as a body of Christ to be able to serve others who, who aren't in the same position that we are. And so uh, many of you are aware right now, uh, Grays Hill Baptist Church locally, they're without a pastor going through a really difficult situation. All throughout the month of March, we're going to be sending a staff member there to preach on Sunday mornings just to make sure they can continue driving forward uh, as a church family. Because church, if we believe in an empty grave, if we believe in an empty tomb, you with me this morning? If we believe that Jesus really came back, we have to believe that he can bring any church back to life. We've seen this. Last week as a church family, we actually celebrated our highest attended Sunday since the big event almost a year ago. And so we, we just praise God and we celebrate that in spite of the challenges of the last year, the Lord continues to regather his people. He continues to draw them back to himself. And I think we can have confidence as we look at Ezra and Nehemiah. If the Lord can bring his people back from exile thousands of miles away over the span of several decades, then surely he can overcome six feet of so social distancing over a span of nine months. Amen. He can do this work. So if you're following along in your notes this morning, again, we're going to move very, very quickly, just do a, a quick broad overview of a lot of what's going on here. But what you're going to see this morning is that through the prayers and, I want you to say the word and, and, circle it, underline it, asterisk, make a note with that word and, through the prayers and the work of his people the Lord will rebuild what the enemy has torn down. Right now, we as a church family, just at, based on the example we've seen in the book of Ezra, we're in the middle of 50 days of prayer and fasting. We're going to talk about that again here in just a little bit. But as we pray and as we fast and as we seek the Lord, as we cry out to him, we're praying for revival in our church. We're praying for awakening in this community, not just our church, but the Big C Church. As we're praying for all of these things, it's not just that we pray and we fast and we seek. There comes the point in time where we actually have to rise up and do something through the power of the Spirit of God within us as he continues to drive forward his mission here on earth. So uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 11. And I just, I'm just going to go and tell you this morning, guys, I have seasonal allergies. I promise. Again, I'm going to cough. It's a weird time right now. We all need, who has seasonal allergies? We all need a t-shirt, right? But I promise you everything is fine. It's the pollen. Uh, so just bear with me a little bit this morning. But Nehemiah chapter 1, let's go ahead and just read the whole chapter as we begin our time here. It says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Hislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant, there's that word again that we saw in the book of Ezra, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting. So this is continuing on, and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. To hear the prayer of your servant 
that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, so this was the warning, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. So we see first this morning from chapter one that the Lord will hear our cry for mercy. The Lord will hear our cry for mercy. This is, uh, we see the month of Kislev. This is the ninth month on the Jewish calendar. So this would be about November, December for us. It's winter. And Nehemiah is at a location called Susa. This is a military fortress. And his brother, Hanani, comes to him. And Nehemiah inquires about the welfare of the Jewish people. And they just tell him things are really bad that things are really, really bad. The walls are broken down. The gates are destroyed. They're vulnerable to the attacks of their enemies. So the reality of all this starts to set in with Nehemiah, and he sets himself apart, as we saw Ezra do, as he led the people to weep and to fast and to pray. It's to seek the Lord. Again, what we're doing in fasting is we remove a physical desire. So as we feel a physical impulse, instead we rechannel that with spiritual energy. So as we feel a hunger for food, we pray, Lord, would my soul hunger for you? And this is the picture that we see. This is the normal operating pattern of God's people throughout his word as they seek him is to fast and to pray. So he goes before the Lord day and night in prayer. I mean, it's persistent Day and night, he goes before the Lord in prayer. He's begging the Lord to see him and to hear his prayer. And he acknowledges that he and the people have committed sin. So just like we saw last week in the book of Ezra, there's no sidestepping it. There's no diminishing it. There's no minimizing it. There's no, yeah, it's bad, but not as bad as the nations. They own their sin for what it is. They deal with it honestly before the Lord. And they remember his warning. He prays back the the warning that the Lord had given them. He said, you told us this would happen. You told us this would happen. You warned us that if we fell into the idolatry and the worship of the pagan nations, that we would be scattered among the people. And this has happened. But then he recalls the Lord's promise. He says, but you also promised that if we would return to you, if we would keep your commandments, if we would walk in your ways, that you would turn your eye and you would see us. So he begs the Lord to hear his prayer. He begs the Lord to hear his prayer because he's going to be going to the king. Now, uh, Artaxerxes is the king at this point in time. And we're given this really interesting detail in verse 11. It's almost an odd place to end off the chapter where uh, we basically get Nehemiah's job description. He just says, now I was cupbearer to the king. Well, why is that important for us to know? Why why does he need to give us this detail? Well, you know, we think maybe as a cupbearer, someone it's just his responsibility to get the cup and to bring the king wine. And that was part of his responsibility. But this was a very important position. This was not a position that was given to anyone. This was only given to those who would already have some sort of favor in the eyes of the king. But uh, it was not just literally, but also symbolically intended to be a position where he was uh, really supposed to be bringing joy to the king. His presence was supposed to invoke happiness. He was bringing a cup of wine that was supposed to invoke happiness with the king. He's supposed to come cheerfully and joyfully into the king's presence. But right now he is grieved and he is broken over the state of Jerusalem. 
And he's wearing this on his face. He's just wearing his emotions on his sleeve. And he knows that he has to go to the king. And so for him to go to the king and to make any sort of request on behalf of his people, especially to come to him in brokenness and grief, this would have been wildly out of the ordinary. This is not something normal that someone in this position would do. He was very much putting himself at risk, coming to the king and saying, I am broken and I'm burdened for the destruction of my city. But he trusts that the hand is, uh, of the Lord is on him. He goes before the king confidently with his request. Now, we've not had time over the last several weeks to do the full deep dive. I wish we did uh, just Sunday morning to do the full deep dive where you could see uh, how the story of Esther um, also parallels and fits into the events of Ezra and Nehemiah. You really need to go dig into that a little bit. You can do some of that in community group or on your own, but go look at the parallels and how these stories overlap. But one detail we see, uh, for instance, in the book of Esther is that she has to go to the king on behalf of her people. And so we actually see through that story and through that example how she puts herself at great risk. She goes to the king, making a request on his behalf, and the Lord grants her favor in his sight. And the same thing is happening here in the book of Nehemiah. He's burdened for his people. He's recalling and he's praying back the promises of God's word, and he's confident that if he goes to the king, that his request will be heard. And so again, we as a church family, what we did two weeks ago is we saw the example of the people of Ezra as they gathered together at Aheva to uh, call a fast before they went on their journey. They had asked for no protection from the king because they had told the king, the Lord will protect us. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we called us once again to a fast. Uh, we had challenged our church family to fast for 21 days in January, but we had gotten together, our elder team and our leadership, and just felt, man, we, we think the Lord is, is challenging us to press in at a deep, deeper level. And we kept seeing this example of fasting in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. So uh, I asked the question last week. I'm going to ask it again this morning. Uh, who has been fasting for something for, for the last couple of weeks? Doing your very best to, at least. Praise God for that. Now, uh, who found this week to be a little bit more challenging than last week? Praise God. Yeah, we're all honest, at least this morning. That's good. You know, last week we come in here, we're excited, we're pumped up, we're seeking the Lord, but man, the enemy just has a way of putting a foot in the door, right? Of, of drawing us into temptation, of catching us in moments of weakness in church. I just want to use once again this example this morning. Let us not grow weary in doing good. To really press into what the Lord is doing, to see the example of Nehemiah who was crying out to the Lord day and night. You know, I was so convicted I was reading uh, th this example, and I was uh, having a conversation with a brother earlier this past week, and he was just telling me, he said, man, you know, a couple weeks ago, he said, my, my wife and I, we just spent the whole night in prayer. I'm like, I just felt so inferior in that moment. I'm like, me and my wife sleep, man. <laughs> like, we get up early in the morning, and I'm, bedtime comes, and I'm tired, man, I just felt so convicted. When was the last time I was willing to give up sleep to seek the Lord? church, we can't grow weary in this. I know we're, we're getting just a couple of, of weeks into this, and I know it can just seem monotonous to understand what is it that we're doing this for. We are pressing in with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to see God move among this community. We're desperate to see this, and we're eager to see this, and, and I think it's so critical that you and I, just in the midst of everything that's happened over the last 12 months, that we come to the Lord for this prolonged season free of distractions, free of temptations, free of devices that tend to rob our attention and to rob our time, sometimes fruitless things that will have no bearing whatsoever in eternity for a season of seeking the Lord. Don't grow weary in this. We see the example of God's people over and over and over again. They were serious and zealous for the glory of God. But listen to what he prays here in verse 10. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. In verse 11, he says, Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. 
What can we be praying for this morning? And what can we be praying through this season? Pray that we will be a people who delight to fear the name of the Lord. Who are serious about the glory of his name. Who revere his name and honor his name and desire above all else to see, as we say at the end of our services every single week, to cause his name to be remembered where, church? For all generations so that the nations will praise him forever and ever. You're feeling weak in this? Continue to persist. Let's be people who day and night are willing to get on our knees and cry out to God as we plead for him to move. So chapter two, let's read uh, very quickly here, verses one through eight. It says, in the month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And so here's why this is important that we shared a moment ago. And the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing you are not sick. This is nothing but sadness of the heart. So the king can see he is burdened. He's broken. He can't hide his feelings and his emotions this moment. He says, then I was very much afraid because he knew that was out of step with his role. He knew that this was very much putting himself at risk. He says, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the, king, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked. Here we see it again, church, as we saw all through the book of Ezra, for the good hand of my God was upon me. And then verses 9 through 16, just to quickly summarize for us this morning, we see that Nehemiah makes this journey to the province beyond the river. He delivers the king's decree to the governing authorities in the region. And when he arrives, we see in those verses, there's two men there, Tobiah and Sanballat. Now, we're going to look in depth next week at the nature of this conflict, but they immediately begin opposing the work. We've seen this at every step of this return journey, right? Every time they take up an initiative that the Lord has given them to do, they face some sort of opposition. So at night, uh, Nehemiah actually goes out with a small delegation secretly by cover of darkness, and they go inspect the situation at the walls. They're trying to figure out just how bad the situation is. And then in chapter three, we see a picture of them uh, rebuilding the gates. We're given a list of names of those who are part of rebuilding this effort. And then this is what unfolds in verses 17 through 20 at the end of the chapter. It says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. And he says, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant and Geshem the Arab uh, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you were doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Mic drop. Not going to be halted. So we see this morning that the Lord will hear our cry for mercy. Second, as a result of this, the Lord will burden our hearts for mission. 
He will hear our cry for mercy, but then he will burden our hearts for Jerusalem. Again, we summarized what was taking place in verses 9 through 16, but I want to go back and read what it is that Nehemiah says in uh, verse, uh, verse 12 here. He says back in chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. This work started with a burden. It started with a man who was broken over the state of his city, who was broken over the bondage and the captivity of his people. And he plays it for just a moment very, very closely to the chest. He's not just going to tell anybody about this because he doesn't want to invite any sort of unnecessary opposition to this work. He knows that plenty is eventually going to come, but he's burdened. His heart's heavy. This is the example we see of Jesus in the New Testament as we get into the Gospel of Mark. You look at chapter 6. It says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. And you really dig into that word there in Mark 6. It's not just that Jesus saw them and he was sad for what was happening. I mean, it was a deep feeling he had in his gut. Just a burning, just a burning passion to rise up and do something. Nehemiah could not let this go. He refused to see the, the house of God lying in ruins. He refused to see the walls lying in ruins. He refused to sit back in fear when the Lord had given them permission. He had given them a mission and a mandate to return to their home, to reclaim what was theirs, to rebuild the walls of the city, to return to the, the true worship at the temple. And the Lord had given all of this to them. And he sees the state of this, and he's not going to leave the work undone. He's burdened for this. And church, man, if, if there's one word I think we desperately need to recover in our very cynical, hardened church culture today, where we're all just a bunch of professional Christians and we evaluate churches like restaurants, we need to recover burden. Do you see the broken state of this church today? Are you burdened for, for the state of the church in our nation? Are you just burdened for our nation in general? Are you burdened for this community do you see that there's 100,000 people in Beaufort County, South Carolina, who do not profess faith in Jesus Christ? Does that burden you? Are we broken for this? Because until we have a burden, again, I can get up here every single week, and I can rant and rave, and I can holler about everything we need to be doing until every single one of us is burdened to our core. Nothing will change. And this morning, if you're not burdened, are you willing to ask the Lord to burden you? To let you feel that? Again, I think this is so much of what the social media culture has done to us. We've become so good at scrolling and numbing ourselves to the things that might cause us pain. If I don't like it, if it makes me uncomfortable, I can just change the channel. I keep scrolling through my feed. Ooh, cat videos. I can go back to that. That makes me feel good. But we, we do so much just to numb ourselves to this church. We have to be burdened. Are we burdened for the lostness and the brokenness of this world? So we asked this morning, again, our time's been short here. Well, what, what, what do we do? As we're, as we're fasting and we're praying for two weeks, well, let's just follow the example that we see among the, the people here, in, uh, the Jewish people, with the example of Nehemiah. For our response this morning, right now we're fasting and we're praying. And then after we fast and pray, church, we need to rise up and build. We, we actually have to do something here. That's why I had you circle that word and as we started out this morning. It's not just that for 50 days, man, we're, we're just going to fast and we're going to pray and we're going to seek the Lord and say, all right, Lord, what's next? Good luck with that. Hope it goes well for you. Let me know if you need anything. But that's not the example that we see in Scripture. So Nehemiah is burdened for this work. He's broken over this work. He sees the need, but he doesn't just pray, Lord, go rebuild the walls. The Lord raises up Nehemiah and he rebuilds the walls. 
He gathers people together. It starts with a burden in his heart. He shares this burden with others, and they come together, and they say, let's make this happen. So, so what I want us to do this morning, church, we're going to shift gears here for just a couple minutes as we begin to close out uh, this morning, is, is again, we, we've challenged you to 50 days of prayer and fasting. We're just a couple of weeks into this. And I already want us to begin shifting our minds towards thinking, what are we actually going to do? Beyond the praying, beyond the fasting, beyond seeking the Lord, what is he actually calling us as individual followers of Jesus to rise up and do? So I want you to take this morning, this should have been on your seat as you came in, we've given you this card. And on this card, the top of it just says the great rebuild. Because as we see the example of God rebuilding and restoring his people through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, this too is a season of restoring and rebuilding for the church of Jesus Christ in our nation. It's when we praise God that we've been able to continue regathering, but we still have work to do. And a couple weeks ago, we had uh, our membership class, our first membership class of the year. And during our membership class, we tell a little bit of our backstories of church, how we got started. It's always important for us to, to tell people the history. And had one family come to me after and just say, man, I'd love to hear more about that. And so we met about a week later, and I spent about an hour and a half just walking them through, man, this is how we got started, and, and this is how the Lord burdened my heart, and these are those who joined in with us. And, uh, you know, I told them, again, some of you have no context for this because you've, you've just joined in the last couple of years. But, man, the, the, I told them about the meetings of, of just maybe 10, 12 people sitting in my living room. I mean, that was the beginning of Cross Community Church. It looked nothing like this. About uh, 15, 20 of us huddled up in a circle of chairs on Saturday mornings out at Tidal Creek, just, just praying together and seeking the Lord and asking him to move. We spent 12 months behind the scenes just envisioning and dreaming what would it be like to be a church where everybody shows up and has a part to play where we get past spectator Christianity, where it's just show up and listen to a good sermon, get smarter for the week, and then nothing changes. We didn't want that. Still don't want that. But the longer we become detached from that original mission and vision, the more time that passes, the more prone and susceptible we are to just once again becoming spectator Christians. Just content to show up and to sing some songs and to hear a good message and maybe just commit at a superficial level to, to group community. And so this is what we want to challenge you to do uh, this morning because we believe there's something on this card for every single person who's in here. We believe there's something here for every single one of us this morning. And begin asking yourself today, what is the Lord in this unique season of regathering his people, restoring worship, rebuilding his church? What is my part? How will I rise up and build? So I just want to walk through each one of these for just a couple of moments. The first one, most importantly, maybe you need to take your next step in baptism. We're uh, celebrating baptisms on Easter Sunday. Man, if you are a follower of Jesus and you've never taken that step in baptism, you've recently put your faith in Christ, as, as many have, and you've not yet taken that step, we want to celebrate with you uh, on Easter Sunday. So we want you to come uh, to a short class on March 28th. There will be a class as well on Easter Sunday because we're going to invite people that day who respond to the gospel. We're going to make it possible for them to be baptized that day before they leave. We're going to walk them through a class. We're going to have everything here that they need uh, and be able to celebrate just great salvation in this place when we gather together for worship. But maybe that's your first step. If you are a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized, you need to check that box this morning. The very first thing Jesus calls us to do as his disciples is to be baptized is to follow him and his example of being baptized. And we want to be able to celebrate that with you here in a few weeks. It might look like taking a step of covenant membership. And listen, we, we, we don't say this just, just tongue in cheek. That could be here, that could be somewhere else, but we believe you need to be in membership somewhere. You need to be fully wholeheartedly connected to one single local church. And listen, we walk people through our membership process and sometimes that results in us connecting them somewhere else. And we praise God for that. 
I shared earlier this morning, we don't blow smoke about this. We put our money where our mouth is as a church. We support financially. We support uh, with people sending locally and outside of our walls. We are not just about revival in our church. You understand this, right? We're about a revival and awakening of the church. And that's way bigger than the four or 500 people who gather with us here on a weekly basis. Amen. That's got to be the whole body of Christ. But we believe you need to be connected somewhere uh, in membership. And so we've given those dates for you and just challenge you to maybe take that next step in membership. For others, it might just be recovering your daily time in the Word. Again, we're, we're uh, into the Bible reading plan, um, and we're uh, six weeks in. Many of us started that in January. Maybe you've hit a wall. Listen, do not give up. Don't give up. It doesn't matter if you've fallen a week behind, two weeks behind. There is no time wasted in the Word. You want to take a whole day and catch up on what you've missed? Great. But better yet, just pick up where you left off. It's not about finishing it in 12 months. Like, we're not giving out ribbons at the end of this thing, okay? I hate, I hate to break that to you this morning. Like, there's no, like, Sunday school gold, char- gold star chart. That's not coming. The goal is not uh, quantity. It's quality. We want you growing closer to the Lord and His Word. If you've fallen behind, do not give up. Do not listen to the voice of the enemy that says, sorry, you got to wait till January of next year. No. Pick up his word, pick up where you left off, and maybe that's where you need to start today. For others, it may be looking like connecting to a community group. Just like the ministry of Jesus, Jesus ministered to crowds, but he primarily had relationship, a deep relationship with 12. And if that's the model that was put out with Jesus, we believe that's the model that we need to follow today as a church body. So this could look like taking the simple step of connecting to a community group. Now, many of you right now are wrestling with the potential of facilitating your own community group or co-facilitating a community group. Maybe you're not ready to take that step. You're like, man, I've got a great house with a great living room, and I'd love to welcome people in every single week so we can be together in our home. Or uh, maybe your group is ready to take the step to multiply. How many of your groups are having that conversation right now? Again, we as a church, we do not split groups. That's a negative word. We multiply because that's a mission word. That's what Jesus has called us to do. I want to share a picture with you this morning. This will uh, be on the screen behind me here in in, in just a second. And it's uh, of something that one of our groups did uh, earlier this week. Um, They got together to celebrate the multiplication of their group, because uh, again, we multiply, we don't split. And so someone made not a banana split cake, but a banana multiply cake. Get that image in your head. And, and keep that there. This is not something to, to, to mourn or to be upset about. Listen, we're seeing every single week, there's, there's people who are coming to new faith in Christ. There are people coming to the church who have not been in a church in a long time. We're seeing new families move to this area. Church, this is something to celebrate. Jesus is building his church, and it has never been the intention of our community groups. Again, some of you are going to have to get Sunday school out of your mind. You're going to have to get out of the mentality of us four no more, close the door forevermore. That's Sunday school mentality. That's not what we're doing here. We've got mission mentality. We continue to multiply. We're not just going to sit around in a circle with the same group of people for 10 years and get smarter and never do anything. We're going to put into practice the things that we're learning as a body of believers. We challenge you to take a step in community groups. For others, it may just be a step of service. We've really tried as, as a staff recently, we're trying to eliminate this word volunteer. I don't like it. Number one, I don't like it because it's not a Bible word. Number two, because it gives us the impression that it's voluntary. As followers of Jesus, we have all been gifted to do something, and on the authority of God's word, when we hold those gifts to ourselves, we are robbing the church. 
The gifts and the calling of the Lord are irrevocable. So let us sit down with you and figure out, man, what are you gifted to do? What's the Lord calling you to do? How can we put that in step here with the ministry we're doing as a local church? And so it might look like joining one of our volunteer ministry teams uh, on Sunday mornings. We even have teams uh, doing ministry throughout the course of the week. What is the Lord calling you to do? But last, listen, you might be hit, sitting here this morning and say, well, listen, I've been baptized. I'm a member of the church. I'm in the Word every single day. I lead a community group. We're getting ready to multiply. I'm already serving on a ministry team. Well, here's one step we can all take this morning. Who's someone you need to share the gospel with? And if you have no one in your life who's not a follower of Jesus, it's time to repent of our sin that we've not been on mission. And that's the starting point this morning, is to ask the Lord once again for a burden, to feel the weight of the lostness of this world. Who is the Lord placing on your heart today? Several months ago, or over the last several months, we've had somebody who's been doing some work in our house, and the Lord had really uh, just burdened me for him. And, and I'm just going to be honest with you, church, this morning. I, I spent several months really resisting what I felt was the urge of the Lord to, to share the gospel with this guy. And then uh, last week, he's at our house again, and um, the door was open in conversation. I won't have time to get all the details this morning, but just finally had an opportunity to share the gospel with him. He was very receptive and just had a moment to encourage him and pray with him. I just went inside, and the Lord just, just laid conviction on my heart. I just asked, why am I so slow sometimes to share this good news? I mean, you go share Jesus with somebody this week and tell me it's not the very best thing you do. The hope that's within you, who is the Lord laid on your heart who needs to hear the message of the gospel? Who could you invite on Easter Sunday? Be praying about that. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to put some resources and materials in your hands so you can invite folks uh, to come throughout uh, uh, for Easter Sunday. You may this morning be exploring a call into ministry. Maybe the Lord's calling you to serve the church for the rest of your life, to, to follow his steps globally, to take the gospel where his name has not been heard. Whatever that is this morning, what is the Lord calling you to do? And so listen, we're going to put this in front of you for the next few weeks. Some of you this morning, you might know right away, this is exactly what the Lord's calling me to do. My challenge to you today would be don't delay. Man, make that commitment, take that step, begin taking steps to uh, move forward in faith and the calling that the Lord has placed on your heart. So, so don't delay in, in doing this, but also at the same time, don't commit to something with which you have no intention of following through, right? There's, there's biblical wisdom here. Jesus encourages us always when we're coming to follow him to count the cost, to consider the commitments that we make, to let our yes be yes and let our no be no. So maybe you need to take a week, you need to take two weeks and really pray this through, but listen, Fast and pray, but eventually you have to rise up and build. It's not one or the other. It's not either or. It's both and. And so, church, my challenge to us this morning, this is sort of just a checkpoint. We're, we're a couple weeks into this whole thing. Let's pause and let's begin reorienting our hearts and our minds to be following the example of God's people through Ezra and Nehemiah to consider not just how are we going to seek him, how are we going to serve him, and what is he calling us to do? Do you still believe that Jesus is building his church? Do you still believe that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it? In the church, let's pray and fast. Let's seek the Lord. And then together, let's rise up and build. So, Father, we, we come to you this morning. We praise you. We thank you for your goodness to us, not just in sustaining our church during this season, but sustaining your church, the church. Father, we come to you this morning praying, eager to see revival and awakening in our church, in our community, in our nation. So, Lord, we seek you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father, would you empower us by your Holy Spirit to, to not give up during this season, to not grow weary of doing good? Will you bind the enemy away from us in the moments of weakness? When we're prone to drift back to our vices, Lord, give us hearts that seek after you. And Lord, burden us once again. 
burden us that we would not just be praying and fasting, but we would be rising and building. That we would not become comfortable with hearing your word, but never doing your word. So Father, burden us today. Fill us with the power and the strength of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you're still building your church.